Welcome to Alternatives to AA. This is Joshua Robinson, and I've been three years sober. And I'm Monique Robinson, and I'm two years sober. And we're here on a mission to help make the difficult journey of sobriety even easier to manage. Nobody in my world ever thought that I'd actually manage to be sober. So now we're taking what we've learned in the last decade to be able to help you too. And we're not against AA. We just need to learn how to manage the other 23 hours of the day. From communication to relationships to self-care, we're going to show you how to cope when your triggers try to take you down. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. to uncover not only how to live without alcohol, but to thrive in sobriety and to swap out your addiction for a better life with the help of Alternatives to AA. So let's go. And anyone, even if they're not an alcoholic, mm-hmm. everyone deserves um, the ability to say no mm-hmm. if they're being pushed too hard or they don't feel comfortable. You don't have to say yes just yeah. because their family or just because that's your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say no and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um that's a huge one, and and that's one that's being talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's so it's so important, especially now. You know, some people since COVID and everything, you know, they said no to their job because mm-hmm. they're being undervalued and kind of abused in like the way that you know they might be doing like two people's jobs and getting paid for one person's right. salary. Um. So yeah, all those all those types of things like. It just, it just makes you a stronger, you know, it builds up your self-confidence and then, you know, it's easier to not drink because, you know, you can say no easier. (laughs) You can say no to the drinking. You can say no to this. You can say, you know, obviously you don't want to say no to everything. You want to say yes to, um, to good things. Mm -hmm. Um, but still even there, if you say yes to every good thing, you'll be swamped. And we've done that before. Yes, we have. Um, so just say no. (laughs) Well, just know your limits is really what it should be. Like with, with your addiction, know your limits with the amount of time that you can comfortably give, but also take care of yourself. That's one like I'm struggling with because sometimes I give too much time and don't leave anything for myself. So it's, it's the whole like pouring out of pouring into a cup but not having anything left in mind, like just pouring everything out. Um, so just working on that balance too is important. Um, but you know, like, like the goal is to find places and events that you can do stuff. Like, like there are movie theaters now that uh, you can get alcohol in. You're there to watch the movie though, you know? So like if you're and your friends, like that's like the thing you guys used to go to do, like go to the movies and have your dinner and a drink. All right, so maybe you don't go to that theater. Maybe you go to the theater that doesn't have the alcohol and you go out to to eat afterwards or before, you know, and you don't sit at the bar, you sit at a table. Like, you just make slight adjustments and you still get to do things. You don't have to, you don't have to feel like alcohol is the end of your world because sometimes it felt like that for me. Like not drinking, you're saying? Not drinking. So, like, if I didn't drink, I couldn't do anything. I wasn't allowed. And it sometimes feels that way because so many events, especially in the summer, Mm. involve liquor, you know, Mm. picnics, barbecues, like, um, you know, different races, like sometimes races, even at the end, like you don't get greeted with water, you get greeted with a beer. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, So it's just it's everywhere in America. Like 
like Josh was saying before, it's literally 80 to 90% of Americans drink in some capacity. Um, you know, and that, that can also apply to doing drugs. Now the percent is not as high, but in some capacity, everybody has some sort of form. Mm. So you can't just cut, cut yourself out off from the world. Just like, you know, with COVID people who stayed, just stayed at home, they cut themselves off. It really affected their mental health. You know, they were protecting their body, but they weren't protecting their mind by just not communicating and being out in the world. And people started to, like, do FaceTime and things like that to get a little bit of more interaction. But no matter what, the isolation was still extremely hard on all of us. Um, you know, and, like, I don't know the statistic, but there is a statistic about how during COVID, you know, addiction and, like, deaths from addiction just increased. Because those of us with addiction, it's the scariest thing in the world to be told, okay, you stay by yourself with your problem. I mean, that's just danger in so many ways because, um, you know, the, the truth is I shouldn't have woken up sometimes from how much I drank. I don't know how I did. Um, God wanted me here for a reason. Um, so that's how those deaths happen. It's not because the person was trying a lot of times. It was they were already drinking or doing their drug to their limit. They felt bad. They took it, took that one more and that's all it takes. Um so, you know, your friends and family and everyone, like, it's it's an everybody disease um, in various, like, ways, you know, like, it, it whether it directly affects you or you have someone you love that's affected, it affects you in a way. Like, it's very rare that you're in the U.S. and you are not a person that is affected in some type of way. I think pretty much only maybe the Amish can kind of hold that oh that's funny because I, <laughs> I was about to mention values yeah. and and so the reason like the reason for the drug problem is a psychological problem mm -hmm. and people aren't doing the you know people are just mistreating each other yep and abusing and hurting each other and then they think that it's normal to hurt like abuse yourself like mm -hmm. That that was the thing with me. Like I was like, yeah, I'll go. I'll keep drinking till like the goal was just to pass out, mm -hmm. um, and hurt yourself. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. It's the, the psychological part. Yeah. And now we're really entering an age for real that I think this decade people are. It's about consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's really exciting for me because that's what I've been thinking about since i was yeah. 10 years old um, well, well i was just gonna say even how a lot of women are trying to like raise their kids nowadays um they're raising their kids to make mistakes and it's okay they're raising their kids to make a mess and it's okay they're raising their kids to be kids again mm -hmm. you know like i felt like our generation we were just told no a lot yep. and then we didn't know why it was a no so then like when we had feelings later on, like, um, like I, I tended to shut off my emotions a lot. So when I was left to my own devices, when I finally like was a adult woman and supposed to navigate these emotions on my own, sometimes I really struggled, you know, like I just, and constantly questioning myself, am I doing the right thing today? Or was it yesterday the right thing? Or was the day before the right thing? Like, <laughs> you know, um, but the, even just how 
people are trying to raise their kids now. They're trying to make it okay for whatever's happening in your brain. It's okay. Mm. Let's talk about it so you understand it, not like just misunderstand it. Like sometimes I'll get angry still and I don't know why I'm angry and I'm just angry and I don't have a reason and I know that I'm just going to hurt somebody like with my words. So sometimes like it's, that's when I have to take a drive. And then during the drive, I usually am able to put two and two together. What triggered me? And then I can come home and be like, all right, so we got to talk about this, you know, but it's just amazing how that kind of stuff, like it's so subconscious and it'll like jump at you out of nowhere. Cause, um, you know, that was happening to me the other day. Like I was just so frustrated and it wasn't necessarily at Josh. It was actually just, a couple different circumstances happened in the day and I just, I was done. I couldn't deal with it. And it wasn't Josh's fault. None of the circumstances were his fault, but I knew I was about to yell at him. So instead of yelling at him, I left. (laughs) Not to get too personal, but yeah, how I was reacting wasn't the right way either. So yeah, it it was, it was both of us. But like what I was saying is just like, if you know that you're reaching a limit and you know that you're going to cause pain when you've gotten to that limit, it's okay to take yourself away. Yep. That's all I was trying to say. Oh, yeah, that's like, very true. You yeah. know, like, in that circumstance, I knew all I was going to do is yell at you and blame you for stuff that isn't necessarily even true. Um, Like, I, I would do this sometimes when I would drink. Like, I would blame people, but I'd purposely blame them for the thing that would hurt the most um, because I was hurting so bad. So I was afraid that the other day, like I might say something to hurt him because I was hurting when he didn't deserve it, you know? So it's okay to take yourself and just be like, I'm going for a walk. I'm going for a drive. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) You know, like, because sometimes like the emotional stuff is too much, but usually when I get a minute to like understand it and then Josh and I will even talk about it to like try to understand how that emotion even got triggered and it helps a lot. But I mean, that that's just, that's all I was saying is just like our generation. We didn't get as much of like, the explanation behind it. Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree. And like, we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'm sure like a lot of people listening can relate that if I'm frustrated about something, a lot of times if I just sit and just chill out for like 10 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes and actually realize what's going on, then I'm fine. But if I don't allow me to figure it out, then I'm still frustrated and angry the whole day. And then you, then I take it out on myself, on others. And, you know, then you just feel horrible at the end of the day or, or you might end up saying, oh, F it, I'm going to drink. I think that's a lot of the F it stage is yeah. this whole not understanding why you're so angry and you don't want to figure it out. So, you, you, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll drink. That's easy. Mm-hmm. So it's very convenient, um, but you still don't get to, to the reason why you're feeling that way. And then and well, you're just <laughs> kicking up the cycle to start again. Of the, why did I drink? And then I'm hurting myself while I'm drinking and then I'm stopping again. Like you just kick back up that horrible cycle. Cause I mean, it's the worst thing. Like it was the worst for me when I'd break my sobriety Mm. and then trying to get back on the horse. Like, you know, like it, sometimes it would take a day and sometimes it would take a lot longer than a day, you know, like just admitting that you screwed up again, that you got to start over again, like the whole thing. It's just, it feels so bad, but you know, like 
it's so good to keep starting over. Yeah. It gives you, and like, it feels bad, but always remember anytime you're getting sober, you're giving yourself a second chance mm-hmm. at your entire life. You're giving yourself a second chance to think through decisions. You're giving yourself a chance to just have clarity to like, you know, if you're not happy in a situation to sit there and be like, all right, how did I get here? And how can I fix it? You can't do that when you're drinking. You just kind of, I'm like, well, I'm in the situation. It's whatever, (laughs) you know? So. No, very true. We're hitting on a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So to clarify, you don't have to replace your friends. You just have to replace your environment. Absolutely. Because the one thing you have to remember in getting sober, your mental and physical sobriety has to be so important to you. You have to, but you have to make sure the mental is just as important as the physical, because no matter what you can be physically, not like you can be physically sober, but if you're not mentally in the same spot, you're not, you're still not as healthy as you want to be. Um, And eventually like you want to be able to hang out with the friends. But for me, when I first started, um, when I first was sober again, I realized there were certain friends that like I knew I couldn't hang out with because they really did just want to go to the club and dance or they wanted to go to the bar and drink or they wanted to do very alcohol centric activities. So with those people, if you really feel that they're not going to be willing to change, you text them, you call them, you're still in each other's lives, but you just realize that maybe your relationship's a little different now. Um, and that's okay. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna change a little in this process. And the funny thing is a lot of times those friends, they change with you. So the people that like originally I felt like I could only text now I know like they're, they've realized like, okay, that's not Monique's thing. Let's go to a restaurant. Mm. You know, I can still have a drink if I really need it, but Monique is away from the bar. It's safe. She gets food and I get to see her. You know, like it's a win-win, but it's okay if you need a year, two years to just be texting someone, if you want to keep them in your life and you just know you can't be in person with them. Yeah. Um, It's hard to make that choice. It really is. So don't think like, oh, it's so simple. I just cut them off kind of a thing. It still hurts emotionally to do that. But by not just completely cutting them off, by giving yourself a way to still reach them by text, phone call, Facebook, however you choose to do it, um, it just gives you that comfort too. You're not stuck with just nothing. You're not stuck with the loss and the hole in your heart. Yeah, you're not burning the bridge. Yes. So at a certain time, whenever that comes, then you can cross back over and you can rejoin your friend. Yeah, and it's just for your safety. And they'll understand that if they are your real friend, like we've talked about, like they will cheer you on once they realize things are changing, you know, um, it might not feel like it at first, but even give your friends time, give them patience because, you know, they might not understand what you're doing either. Um, at certain points in my sobriety, I definitely like in early sobriety when I was pretty much the only one trying to do it, it felt like everybody was looking at me like I was a freak that, well, she has to go in the corner with her drinking problem. But it actually made some people realize too, that they might have issues and like, it's not just me, you know, 
in just various different capacities. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's eye-opening eye for others. So, so when you're doing this, you can think of it as I'm not only helping myself, I might be helping other people. It's very true. Yeah, so, I mean, it's very liberating. Yeah, and um, keep in mind, too, it's okay if you're craving. It's okay. Yeah, we still do it all the time. Yes, but we do. Every, we try to talk about it and all like if i have a dream that i drank mm -hmm. which is you know that happens but you still feel so bad even though we didn't drink yeah it's the weirdest thing like you know three years sober and i'll have dreams like that and uh you feel guilty so you have to, you know and you have to tell somebody about it mm -hmm. and uh that, that just helps out a lot yeah just being being able to tell somebody uh, that you had a craving instead of just hiding it, it makes it so much easier to deal with the craving. If somebody, like if you can say it out loud, because it takes away that shame factor. A lot of addicts don't realize how much shame they're unintentionally holding mm. because of it. You know, especially when you get to the point where people are pointing out to the fact that you might have a problem, you're probably holding on to a lot of shame at that point. And it's not necessarily your fault. It can be just circumstances. It can be just, you know, play environments you were stuck in, different things. But you're holding on to shame for things you shouldn't be holding on to shame for. And because of that, sometimes it prevents you from saying, hey, I'm having a craving today. It's a bad day. But if you don't start talking about it, that's when you end up at the store. I mean, sometimes I would be in an AA meeting, had a decent day, and something at the meeting would trigger me. I had all the resources in the world right there, but I couldn't open my mouth that I was triggered. I'd get in the car and drive to the liquor store. Most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. Go to an AA meeting, go to the liquor store. But it happened because I was holding the shame that I was like the only one in the room that was having cravings. How much I lied to myself with that one, it's crazy. Every single person in that room has cravings at various times in various days. But I was so convinced I was like the weakling in the room that I couldn't talk about it. But then I'd end up at the liquor store. <laughs> Wouldn't, doesn't that technically make me a little weaker? No. But it just, it Ew. was, the weakness was not standing up and saying to someone, I need help today. Yeah. That was the weakness. Yes. It's just so important to to find someone or multiple someones that you can just say, hey, I'm having a bad day. I'm craving. And even, you know, sometimes you just start telling people in your friends, in your family, just so they're more aware of what's going on with you. Like if I'm acting funky one day, sometimes like I'll tell like my dad, I'm having a bad day. I'm craving today. You know, like then he'll stop what he's doing and talk to me because he knows if I've gotten to the point where I'm telling him, then we're at DEFCON 1. We got to talk. Yeah. And you're not, <laughs> you're not saying it just to try to like control somebody no. manipulation or something like that. Like, oh, feel bad for me. No. You're saying it just because you just try not to hurt other people. Right. And, you know, that that's a totally different thing. Yeah. Like, like I start telling people when I worry that I'm on the brink, you know, so it doesn't mean I, every time I have a craving, like I'm shouting it to everybody yeah, by any that, means. That's, that's, that would be annoying. And then yeah. people won't want to talk to you. So don't do that. No, obviously. no, no. <laughs> but like, no, no, no. I, like all I was saying was, you know, 
And people who I never thought would want to hear that I was having a craving that day, they're the actually the people that want to hear it. They're the ones that are like, oh, I'm so glad you told me. Let's talk about it. And we'll drop everything because they know if I've said it, that I'm in trouble and I'm asking for help. And they also usually know that for me, it's harder for me to even ask for the help. So they know if I'm already at that point, like I said, DeathCon 1, we got to do something. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's interesting when you can start doing that, um, how people will respond. Because I thought the first time, me saying it to a couple of people that I really, I expected negative reactions from. I expected like funny looks, funny faces, like, why are you telling me? Why do I need to know this? Like, I expected reactions like that. I never got a reaction like that. It has always been, how can I help? How can I support you through this? How can I make it easier so you don't go to the store today? And if somebody does have that weird reaction, because that might happen, that's just, that's a good thing actually, because then it shows you that shouldn't be associating with that person. Yeah. Because they don't understand what you're going through at the time. So then that person might turn into one of those people you text or call for a little while until you... Yeah, don't cut them off completely. I wasn't meaning that. But um, just don't go to them with your problem because they're not going to be available to help at the moment. Yeah, you know, you're you're telling it to people so you can kind of see who you have. Because also when I first got sober, like, it felt... Even though I know it wasn't true, it sometimes felt like I only had Josh, but that wasn't at all true. I have such a beautiful circle of people who I can reach out to any one of them at any time. And I know, like I said, if I'm in trouble, they would stop everything to make sure that they had that phone call or that conversation to make sure I didn't get back to like the liquor store because that's the worst thing possible. So... It, it's great for me that I did start saying that because it actually made me realize how big my circle actually is yeah. too. Um, and that, and if you're someone like me who feels guilty about telling people when you're having a problem, it's also very helpful because then if I'm like, well, I bugged so-and-so last time, so I can go bug Jane <laughs> that time. Like, you know, like I bugged Bob and now I'm going to bug Sue. Like, obviously I'm pulling these names out of the top of my head i don't know any bobs or sues actually yeah just um, an example yeah but like you know you if you're someone like me who just feels guilty about that it also gives you more of a circle um, to talk to so like i i just i always feel like i'm a burden on someone so that's helpful for me too because i feel like i have multiple people i can be like i'm having a bad day help <laughs> yeah. so yeah, and then also while you're going through this period, it is good to try to look for new friends that mm-hmm. are the ones that are maybe somebody look you look up to or maybe some, someone that just has a completely different outlook on life that intrigues you. You know, becoming friends with people like that, it really opens up your horizon and mm-hmm. makes you see the possibilities of what you could become because maybe you think... Oh, I can't become nothing. I'm just a no good alcoholic or something like that. Like, that's what I always just tell myself. And still, like, a lot of times I'll do the negative self-talk. Um, but surrounding yourselves with those, like, positive people, they're going to tell you, they're going to say positive things, and it's going to negate all that negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you just get energy from these types of people and, you know, back and forth supporting each other. 
And the end result is that you actually feel that you could do something. You, you become know? a better version of yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, like within that, like, you know, we have been trying to find like friends and things that are better influences. Like it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. Um, like I work with some ladies, uh, I do like an online business as well and they're amazing influences on me. Um, they're such positive women. They have such a good outlet on life. Like they, and they just want to be there to support each other with being better versions of themselves. Like I, like I, over the last couple of years have been speaking to these women. I do an online business and even when I haven't been active, they are such an incredible group of women who support me um, to just check in on my sobriety, to check in when Josh and I were planning the wedding and I didn't know what the heck I was doing, um, to check in even even about the podcast. They've asked me how it's going and everything just because they want to love on me and having having positive people is so important and like those women really showed me how big of an impact positive people can be um because like i didn't even realize like how much it was like infiltrating my like everyday life but it really does help me you know stay more upbeat and everything so finding those people in your life and you can find them even through trying new activities because when you get sober you get time back. Mm. So you can find them by trying new activities. You know, um, like Josh and I tried pottery recently. Not nah, that I'm great at it. I suck. Um, but you can find new friends by trying new things too. You know, like I definitely want to take up some other classes and things because pottery is just not my deal. I just make a mess of it. I try. <laughs> but, you know, like it's still, I had the time to even try it. I never would have tried it. If you told yeah, me not, two years ago I would end up in a pottery class, I probably would have just laughed at you. <laughs> yeah, not everything you you try out you're gonna like, but oh yeah, that's that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. But you know, like you can have positive influences from friends, uh, from doing new activities together, different things. It's just it's interesting to try to develop that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, like it's so true because even Jim Rowe was quoted saying that. You can really see it when you're even looking at your own friends and family. And then even in psychology today, they told us that having social bonds is the number way to optimize your health. So that's what we've been talking about, you know, today. Like, please don't cut off your social because that's actually leading you to, you know, destruction. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to cut people off. You might have to modify how you interact. Yeah. But cutting them off cuts off a piece of you. You know, it's literally like, like, I don't understand it because it's, it, to me, it's like taking off one of your limbs, like telling you, you're going to get better if you, if you give me your arm. How does that work? You know, sometimes like, it's true though. If that arm is infected, like, so let's say if like it's infected and that's like a bad person, bad, like just really just abusive to you and stuff like that, you it's going to hurt, but you have to sever it. Right. Or else you're going to die. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. I guess, like, in that scenario, I would think, like, all the friends were the arm and then, like, the bad friend would be, like, your pinky. Yeah. Jim Rohn was saying that you can really see it when even looking at your own friends and family. And even psychology today, they tell us that having social bonds is the number one way to optimize health. And that's why Josh and I are really discouraging, you know, 
cutting off your relationships. Yes, we understand that you have to modify them, that you have to change them, of course, because you are making a very big life change. But cutting them off completely is very dangerous. Um, It's just not safe for you. I mean, it would be like someone telling you, like, cut off your arm, give me your arm, and you'll get sober. That's not fair. It's like taking a huge chunk of you and telling you, well, you're missing your arm, but you'll be better. (laughs) Like, who wants that? Who's going to sign up for that and say, yeah, that sounds great. I want to lose a big piece of my heart. And if you're someone like me who likes to talk, tell me I can't talk to my friends. You're you're cutting off part of me, you know, a big part of me. So it just doesn't work. So. Yeah. And uh, so another quote from uh, Christopher Bergelin says, New research shows that uh, maintaining strong social bonds starting from a young age increases life expectancy by reducing health risk throughout a person's life. Mm -hmm. And John Sapacino, who is a social psychologist and neuroscientist, stated in various studies, um, he has found that loneliness is linked to significant increases in the stress hormone cortisol. So this hardens the arteries, which leads to high blood pressure inflammation in the body and can even diminish executive function. And with all of that, we just wanted you to hear it from other people as well, how important uh, the social aspect of your life is um, and how important it is in your sobriety, how vital it is in your sobriety. We just wanted to talk about that a little bit, our opinion on how in AA, you know, we're told to like cut your losses with the people that you used to drink with. It's just, we feel it's very unfair, unrealistic. And we wanted to offer you a little bit more of our perspective on how we manage to get sober and keep the friends. Um, Yeah, we had to change some things, but we didn't lose anybody. And that I telling you right now is the only reason I've gotten as far as I did. Because before I always would try to cut people off. But like this time, like when I got sober, I got sober because my friends were reaching out and like they knew I needed help. And I finally realized how much support I had in that moment. And I had Josh and I had so many things because I had that moment of realization. Look how much support I actually have. Mm. That is the only reason I'm now here two years later. Before that, you can ask my friends, my family, I was the queen of 10, 11 months and break or a month or two and break. It was one or the other, <laughs> um, you know, that's all I could handle it for. Um, but it was because every time I tried to cut my friends and family off and not spend time with them, um, in different capacities. And that was, that's the key to my current success is people yeah so if you guys have any questions for us or ever have a topic you want us to cover uh you know please let us know have a great day and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to alternatives to aa if you would like to contact us directly please shoot us an email at alternatives to aa 2021 at gmail.com we also hope that you continue to join us on mondays at 6 p.m you can watch us live on youtube You can subscribe to us that way as well. You can leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Spotify. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you please leave a rating and an honest review. We'll see you next week. Bye.